Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 to 10. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Look to yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if one thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbour. For each man will have to bear his own load. Let him who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, and uh, I'm basing my text on this verse that Julie read so as well to us. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. The message puts it like this, so let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. And then Paul says again to the Thessalonian church, 2 Thessalonians 3.13, But ye, brethren, be ye not weary in well-doing. In Hebrews 12, verse 3, in the message, it says, When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility Jesus plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. In the first text here that we mentioned, Galatians 6 verse 9, Paul is addressing the entire local church at Galatia. And as you saw from one of the other references we read, he also had the same message to the church at Thessalonica. So it must have been a very important, very relevant, very necessary message. He was addressing the entire household of faith. That means he was talking to every age group. The church, we believe, is a family. Can you say amen? I won't punish you for saying amen. The church is a family. And the church is a place where everyone is encouraged to get involved, to pursue the vision, to disciple, train and release and commission. And in our text, Paul talks here about well-doing in that context of everyone in the family of the church being involved. During the First World War, so I'm told, they had a poster that they used to put up of Lord Kitchener 
with a long finger pointing saying, your country needs you. I wasn't around at that time, believe me. The local church this morning needs you to be doing, to be serving. Forgive me if that sounds elementary, but we need to embrace it. Are you hearing me? The church needs you to be doing, to be serving as unto the Lord. And Paul here uses the inclusive word us. Let us not be weary in well-doing. So he's talking of corporate and joint responsibility in the body. His assumption is that everybody is involved. And I want to speak to you this morning with that same assumption. That you are all at least prepared to be involved. And then I want to go on to the main thrust of our text. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Telling us that we will be tired at times in serving the Lord. Hello? And the exhortation is to not grow weary in those times, in well-doing. Now it seems like an apparent contradiction. He says, I want you to do well, but in doing so, you might grow weary. And he's talking from experience, because one time he said, we, are not, we were nigh unto death for the cause of Christ. But here is his point. To grow tired in the natural body is one thing. But to grow tired and weary in your spirit is another thing entirely. One you can recover from for a good night's sleep, from a good night's sleep, but the other will take a little longer. And Paul is saying, don't allow your weariness in serving the Lord to take hold of you. And I'm going to suggest to you from the scriptures how to avoid this. First of all, be certain that your weariness has arisen from doing well in the church. Paul is writing, as we've said, to the Galatian believers and also to the church at Thessalonica. And his assumption is this, this is the case, that all believers here are involved in the church and they're growing weary. It leads me to say, don't complain if the local church, of the local church if your weariness is coming from somewhere else and then blame it on the church. Because that is a possibility. You can become weary doing what God hasn't called you to do, whether inside or outside of the church. And I want to suggest, to suggest, to suggest, I put my teeth back in. I wanted to suggest to you three practical biblical ways to prevent from becoming weary in the work of the Lord and take them right out of the scripture. Number one, if you're taking notes, realize it's only a matter of time until you reap. If you are faithful to God, and that's the condition. In due season, we shall reap. How is that going to happen? If you don't grow tired and give up. In other words, there's a season that is coming to you. And God has that season appointed for you. Not might be, not shall be, not not may be, not with any doubt, but it's coming if you are faithful to God. And God has a season appointed for you when you're serving him, when you are going to reap. Put it in your little red book. Put it in your computer. Put it in your diary. Be optimistic. Be a people of victory. The Bible says we are more than conquerors. I can't understand what that means, to be more than a conqueror. But in Christ, we are winners and not losers. Can you say amen? Praise God. 
Now, we know that the season is coming when as believers we'll reap our eternal reward. One day we'll go to be with Jesus and we'll see him. Does that encourage you if you're born again? But in the message that I'm bringing here, we're talking about the season down here in this life. God has a season marked out for you if you're being faithful to him when you're going to reap. I want to come back to this later. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says there's a season for everything. And Ecclesiastes was written through the eye or from the philosophy of man with regard to life. He says to everything there is a season. Is that encouraging to you this morning? You must look at life from this viewpoint that it is full of seasons. And in that connection, don't make the mistake of looking at the season that your brother and sister is in and thinking that yours should be the same. People are passing in the body of Christ all the time through different seasons. And if you don't understand that, you'll grow weary in well-doing and you will become confused. It will lead to frustration. It will lead to discouragement. Why? Thinking that you should be in one season when God has you in another. Understand the season that God has you in at every stage of life. That's very important in order to have the right perspective. What do you mean, Tony? In the body of Christ, some are in a season of sowing and seeking and searching in prayer, and we're to encourage them. Some are reaping the benefits of past prayers, so we rejoice with them. Some are expecting a new baby, so we share in their excitement. Some have just lost a loved one, so we comfort them. Some are being blessed by financial increase, so we rejoice in the fact that God is their Jehovah Jireh, knowing that our time is coming. Some are praying where next week's rent is coming from. So out of the abundance in the body of Christ, we bless them while they're waiting for God's provision. Some are celebrating miraculous healing. Thank God for being there, Jehovah Rofika. Some have been diagnosed with life-threatening illness, so we surround them with our prayers and faith for recovery. Some are facing mountains of decision-making. Some have had their breakthroughs. Some, their faith is strong, but some, their faith needs strengthening. Such is the household of faith. At all times, we are passing through different seasons. And if you do not get hold of that, you will be confused. Saying, why am I not experiencing what they're experiencing as they rejoice in their victories? Realize your season, your season, your season, if you are faithful to God, is on its way. He has a set time in which to come, and it will come, if you're faithful to God. James 5, 7 says, Be patient, therefore. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it. Be also patient. Establish your hearts. Now, in the context there, it's actually talking about the coming of the Lord. How many believe Jesus is coming again? Eh? It's a subject that's spoken about more than any other in the New Testament. But I want to borrow a principle here. And if you're taking notes, I can see some of you are. Write down these four points that I think will help you. Number one, exercise the patience of faith, knowing that your season is on its way. Like the farmer, he lets the seasons do their respective work. Spring, summer, autumn, winter. Every season contributes to the overall result. The farmer is patient. 
until the fruit arrives. And you are to do the same until your season for fruit in God arrives. This way, you won't grow weary waiting for your next season. Paul says in Romans 2 verse 7, to those who by patient persistence in well-doing. Now, whilst you're waiting for your season, what are you to do? Continue in your current well-doing. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't stop. Don't take time out. Have patient persistence. Pace yourself, yes, if necessary. But keep going with the work of well-doing, knowing that your labor is as unto the Lord. Shall I say something right now that might shock you? Primarily, we're not here to serve people. Our service is as unto the Lord. And if your service is as unto the Lord, you will be serving people in the process. Know that your reward is in His hands. Very often in church you do a lot and get very little reward. But one day we're going to walk up to the Son of God with blazing eyes. And He's going to say if we're faithful in God, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Remember Noah in his patient and persistence in well-doing. I want to borrow a principle from Noah. He was building the ark and the people did what they were doing. They were ungodly and God was about to destroy them and wipe them off the face of the earth. 120 years Noah was building the ark. Or some commentators say it was only 75. But whether it was 75 or 120, it was a long time. Now what are you saying, Tony? The people were having their season. But Noah was waiting for his. But while he waited, he continued with patience and persistency in well-doing. Tell me, was his patience rewarded? It sure was. All right, number two, don't jettison your season for what you can't see of it now. Paul says in Romans 8, 24, I'm reading from the message, that is why waiting does not diminish us. We're enlarged in the waiting. The moment we get tired in the waiting, God's spirit is right alongside helping us along. Isn't that an encouragement? Patience in waiting gives way to birth. True in the birth of a child. There's the moment of conception. There's nine months of gestation. And then there's the birth. It's the same in the spiritual realm. The Bible talks about faith and patience. Oh, we have faith, have faith, have faith, have faith. But the Bible always links faith with patience. Have faith and patience together. Excuse me. Together. And so consider Abraham here in chapter 6 and verse 13 of Hebrews. In the message translation, it says this. When God made his promise to Abraham, he backed it to the hilt. And Abraham stuck it out and got everything that had been promised to him. Why? Because he was patient in faith. Abraham was promised his season. But when the promise was given, he couldn't see it with his natural eyes. Hello. He and Sarah were beyond the age of having children, but eventually Isaac was born. He received by trusting God to deliver him from something that he couldn't see at the time, namely the promise. And he did that by faith and patience. And in that regard, don't ever try to help God by rushing the process. If you do that, it might just result in an Ishmael. And can I say we're suffering from that mistake and that problem today, the Jew and the Arab, because they tried to help God out. Don't jettison your season because you can't see it now. Then you won't grow weary in well-doing. 
because you can't see it coming. But it's just around the corner. Most things that you enjoy now, this morning, you couldn't see yesterday. But the best is yet to be. Hallelujah. Don't give it away today. God will strengthen you until the season comes. Paul says in Colossians 1 and verse 11 in the message, We pray that you'll have strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength that God gives. It's strength that endures, the unendurable strength, and spills over into joy. While you're serving God patiently, strength to endure. Strength to endure all doubts. Strength to endure every circumstance. Strength to endure all delays. Strength to Face up to all discouragement and overcome them. Strength to endure all negative influences. God will give you strength. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. We'll touch on that in a moment. All right, number three, know that your season to reap will come. Now, those are not idle words. We believe that God is faithful. God cannot lie. And he's promised that if we serve him faithfully, we will receive a reward down here, not just up in heaven. Now, that's not our motive. We serve him regardless. But he says that if we serve him faithfully, our season to reap will come. Now, knowing that, there's no reason to grow weary in well-doing. Why? Because we're filled with expectation. Abraham knew that his season to reap was coming. And in Hebrews 6 verse 15, it says, And so after Abraham patiently endured, he obtained the promise. It was beyond anything that he could have envisioned, and it will be for you. God is no man's debtor. If you are being faithful to God in his work, the best is yet to come. Job knew this, and his season to reap came. In James 5.11, in the message, it says this, What a gift life is to those who stay the course. You've heard, of course, of Jacob's staying power, uh, Job's, sorry, staying power, and you know how God brought it all together for him at the end. That's because God cares, cares right down to the last detail. And Job received more at the end of his life than he had previously had. Hello. And your season is coming. And it will add to you. Your season is coming and it's worth waiting for. Your season is coming and it will silence all who spoke to discourage you. Your season is coming because it will cause you to triumph over all your enemies. Your season is coming because God never put disappoints those who put their trust in him. The psalmist said in Psalm 62 verse 5 reading from the message, God the one and only, I'll wait as long as he says everything I hope for comes from him. So why not? And when it comes, you'll be glad you waited and didn't grow weary. When it comes, it will be beyond what you had hoped for. You will realize that you have within you the ability to not grow weary as you look to the Lord. You'll realize how good God is to those who don't grow weary in well-doing whilst they're waiting for their season and being faithful. Paul says in Ephesians 3 verse 20, reading from the Amplified, Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly, far above and above all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes or dreams. This is saying in due season you shall reap if you remain faithful to God. And though it tarry, wait for it. Whilst you're waiting, keep on with well-doing. Folks in this church this morning, keep on with well-doing. 
Men may not appreciate what you do, but there's one who keeps the records. Keep faithful in well-doing. Number four, God will give you the patience you need whilst you're waiting for your season. Romans 15, 5, now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus Christ. God is referred to as the God of patience. Paul says you can be like-minded. Not getting frustrated whilst waiting for your season. Not trying to make things happen when it's not time. Not growing weary in well-doing. Remember, it's only a matter of time before you reap if you remain faithful to God. So number one, prevent that will prevent you from becoming weary. Realize it's only a matter of time until you reap. And then number two, draw upon the grace of God. Paul speaking in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians sorry, 12 verse 9 says, And God said unto me, you know it so well, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And he goes on to say, When I am weak, then am I strong. Paul comes to a time when he grow weary in well-doing. And as we said earlier, one time he said, We are nigh unto death for the cause of Christ. Those times are very real. And they come to the best of God's servants. And don't let you tell anybody tell you any different. Those times don't discriminate to those that they come to. And sometimes in those seasons we cry to God for preconceived deliverance that doesn't come at the time that it's. And we look for a way that eludes us. We feel trapped in a world from which there seems no escape. And we cry like Paul, who is sufficient for these things? And I remind you, he was a man of faith who prayed that prayer. We say, oh, if only we had wings, we'd fly away. We feel if only we had a hiding place, we would crawl into it. We say, God, I'm facing weariness in well-doing. Doesn't anybody care? Deliver me. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever prayed that prayer? Are there any honest people in here? So let's ask God what he has in his storehouse to help us. For this is the punchline of this message. Let's go to him and plead our cause. Let's tell him about the times when we grow weary in well-doing. And you can do that. Do you know that if your heart is right, you can pour it out before God? We're not always men and women of faith on top of the league. Sometimes we go, I sometimes pray and say, Lord, I'm cheesed off. Do you know my God is a God who understands that? If it's coming from a heart that at its root wants to serve him. So go to him and plead his cause. You ask, how can I not grow weary in well-doing? Here is the jewel in the crown. Here is what God has to say in answer to that question. Here is what he has to say. The secret waiting to be revealed. The treasure waiting to be unearthed. The promise to all who are faithfully serving the Lord. Here is the ability to rise above every inclination and disposition toward weariness. Are you listening? My grace is sufficient. And there's as much as is needed, equal to what's required. Whatever comes its way, God's grace will be equal to it. And I know I'm speaking from experience, friends. Forty odd years in the ministry, you name it, I've seen it. And I've had to draw on the grace of God every day. And I still do. Because I need it. Grace is God giving you and I what we don't deserve. 
and yet he gives it. And he gives it in plentiful supply. It's like having a bank account that's you've got a continuous supply on demand. Every loan is free. It never has to be repaid. You have it on demand. So Tony, how can we grow, not grow weary in well-doing? By drawing on the grace of God that is inexhaustible. You draw upon that grace, it will always be available. It will never say it's an inconvenient season. It will never close its doors to the needy inquirer. It will never withdraw in indifference when you call on it for its help. It will never be subject to limited hours when it's open for business. It recognizes all nationalities. It isn't limited to certain classes of society, thank God. It will respond to every age group. It doesn't ask for a security check. It is available to those who need it the most. And it doesn't ask for anything in return. And we can draw upon it bountifully because it's always generous. Don't be afraid to ask for too much of the grace of God. It's his desire to give it without measure. You won't do it in injustice by drawing upon it frequently. He delights, it delights in large withdrawals upon its assets. You can draw upon it all at all times and it will never be inconvenienced. You can draw upon it when you don't deserve it because that's when it's given the most. When you grow weary and well-doing, it will strengthen you. When you feel cast down, it will lift you up. When you feel like giving up, it will spur you on. When you feel that nobody cares, it will prove to you that Jesus cares. Times of weariness and well-doing are opportunities then to draw upon the grace of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 10, Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer, so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Only the grace of God can do that. We're tempted to grow weary in well-doing, but we can draw upon the marvelous grace of God. When you feel like you're not up to the task, consider Moses. Oh, we hear about these heroes of faith. But listen to what the Bible has to say about Moses. In Exodus 3 verse 11, Moses said unto God, Who am I? That I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. In other words, I don't feel up to the task. I feel weary at the very thought of what you're asking me to do. And God said, certainly, I will be with thee. That was an act of grace. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. That was grace that enables And brother, sister, when you feel like you're not up to the task, God has a supply of grace for you. We used to sing a song, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Out of his infinite riches in Jesus, God gives his grace. And that makes you more than sufficient for any task. And God's grace here enabled Moses to do the job. And for you, the grace of God will enable you for the task you're faced with. It will enable you for the challenge that is ahead of you. It will enable you, young person, for that exam that awaits you. It will enable you for the uncertainty in your future, for that feeling of inadequacy. It will enable you for the decision you have to make, for that conflict that has to be resolved, for the situation that stubbornly resists. With God's grace, you're more than a match for anything that comes your way, and you don't have to stay weary and well-doing. 
Listen, folks, when you're going through some stuff, remember these words from the book of Isaiah. How many are going through some stuff? In life, we go through stuff. You know, when you come to Jesus, it's not all pie in the sky by and by. You go through difficulties. And Jesus never said it would be easy to follow him. It is hard to follow Christ. But we have the enabling power of God in which to do it. Life takes us through stuff. But listen to Isaiah in chapter 43 and verse 2. When thou passest through the waters. Has ever anybody done that? That's stuff. I will be with thee. That's the grace of God. And through the rivers, that's stuff. They shall not overflow thee. That's the grace of God. When thou walkest through the fire, that's stuff. Thou shalt not be burned. That's the grace of God. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. That's the stuff. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, who was singing about it this morning. Thy Savior I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. That speaks of the same grace of God that has redeemed and ransomed us as born again people here this morning. Perhaps you're going through some stuff right now. Oh, we know how to smile in the right places when we come into the church. How are you, brother? Oh, praise God. How are you, sister? Oh, what the world? And inside you're bleeding to death. I know I've passed it long enough. Perhaps you're going through some stuff right now. Feeling weary and well-doing and coping with it. Floods of trying to keep your family on track with God. My own son this morning is 41 years of age. He's backslidden. And I love him with all my heart. And I believe God's going to bring him back again into the kingdom. Stuff. Floods of keeping ahead above waters in finances. Floods of temptation to cool off in the things of God. Floods of wrestling with commitment to the house of the Lord. And my God, how we need commitment in this day and age in the church of Jesus Christ. Our world, and I'm not a pessimist, is waxing worse and worse. And the only answer to that is the church. Fires of maintaining passion for God. Fires of dealing with our priorities for God. Fires of struggling with some relationship, maybe in a marriage. Fires of feeling weary with all the stuff. We can draw upon the grace of God and get through the stuff. When you're facing challenges of the future, listen to Joshua speaking as he says, or rather God speaking to Joshua. <coughs> Haven't I commanded you strength, courage, don't be timid, don't get discouraged. God, your God is with you every step you take. Sometimes we feel daunted by the challenges of the future. How are things going to work out? Where am I going to live? Where will I work? When will I get a job? Will I ever meet a husband? Will I ever meet a wife? Will I ever have any lasting relationship that is meaningful? Do I have a future or is it left to chance? Listen to what God says in Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. When those words were spoken, they were spoken to Israel. But they have a dual meaning. They can speak to us. We used to sing a song in church, he's got plans too big for human hands. And at the time when God spoke this to Israel, they could have grown weary at the prospect of all that was ahead of them. But they had no need to because 
Their future was in the hands of God who had redeemed them, who had called them, who was guiding them, who was talking to them, taking them into a glorious future. Does that sound familiar, church? Oh, Israel's future was not without its challenges, but it was glorious nonetheless. We sing that chorus in church, I know not what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Oh, what a song that is. Joshua 1 verse 9, don't be timid, don't get discouraged. Your God is with you every step that you take. And if God is with you, that means his grace is upon you. And if his grace is upon you, you needn't grow weary in well-doing. So in this passage, the secret to not growing weary is twofold. Number one, draw upon the grace of God who is with us wherever we go. Number two, take one step at a time. Joshua says, your God is with you every step you take. And remember those one steps at a time were taking God's people into their inheritance. Hello. This was how God's people faced the future. This was how they arrived at the promised land. And that's how you and I can face our future and not grow weary in well-doing. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon has been given unto you. I don't know about you, but I can only walk one step at a time. That's the secret of not growing weary in well-doing. One step at a time, drawing upon the grace of God with the best guide you could possibly have, who is utterly committed to you and your future. Do you believe that this morning, church? Christ is utterly committed to you and to your future, and the best is yet to come. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man, and there's no gender there, so we can include the steps of a good woman are ordered by the Lord, established by the Lord. And he busies himself with his every step. When you are faithful to God, that's the condition. Job said, in the depth of adversity, he knoweth the way that I take. How can I face the challenge of the future, Tony? One step at a time, drawing upon the grace of God with each step in the knowledge that your future is in the best hands possible. I'm almost through. When you feel like you've taken all you can, Paul speaks to us in 2 Corinthians 12, when you feel like you've taken all you can, is the very place to draw upon the marvelous grace of God. God knows, listen church, when you've taken all you can. We think we know, but God is the only one who knows. And when that happens, we can draw upon his grace. Paul himself learned this, 2 Corinthians 12. I was given the gift of a handicap, I'm reading from the message, to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. Sickness wasn't what God put on Paul. Oh, I wish I'd got time to deal with that. It was an evil spirit constantly bringing him into adversity and difficulty so that he wouldn't get puffed up with pride. At first I didn't think of it as a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that. And he told me, (laughs) my grace is enough. All that you need. And you Bible students know what Paul had to go through. My strength comes in its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, says Paul, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and I began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size. That's what it was all about. Abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks. Just let Christ take over. He says that's what I do. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. 
Paul says, I was given the gift of a handicap. You know, we need to be careful sometimes in blaming God for every trial and every test. I've found that sometimes it's God that's behind the test. Do you know why? The only way that you and I develop character and strength and stability is through the tests. But your test can become your testimony. Paul says, I was given the gift of a hand. If in these moments when you've taken all you can, you see this as a gift, you are blessed indeed. Believe that your test will become your testimony in course of time. Often we pray for what we want, but do we know how to pray for what we need? Paul prayed for what he thought he needed. But God answered him with what he really needed. Could it be that the gift that comes to us is this? When we're weary and feel like quitting, God is trying to show us. What we really need is to draw upon his grace. God said that's what Paul needed to do in the face of how he felt. Has it ever occurred to us that if when Paul felt like he'd taken all he could, he'd actually dropped out, how much he would missed of his finest hours? Could that be the case with you this morning? When you feel like you've taken all you can, when you feel like you've grown weary and well-doing, when you feel like giving up, Could it be you are risking losing out on your finest hours? Don't ask God in your weariness to give you what you want, unless it's his grace. When you feel like wanting out, I want out, Lord. That's a risky prayer, and it is not what you need. Ask God to give you what he sees you really need. More of his grace that is sufficient. I said there were three points, and with this I'm closing. Number three, just for a couple of minutes and I'm through. Maintain a praising attitude. Number one, realize it's only a matter of time until you reap. Number two, draw upon the grace of God. And number three, maintain a praising attitude. Do you know the best time to praise God is when you don't feel like it? Because you praise him for who he is. God, you're bigger than my problem. God, you're bigger than this situation. God, you're bigger than everything that I'm facing. And you lift up your heart when you're broken inside. And you feel like you're going to die. And you praise him for who he is. And God comes to you. David the psalmist said in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Listen, and forget not all his benefits. Sometimes we need to stop and remember those. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. And he goes on to say, bless the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Commentators here suggest that David was taking his soul aside and giving it in time of depression a dressing down. He says, come on now, soul, bless the Lord. Always adopt and have a praising attitude, church. Never lose the spirit of praise. And it's got nothing to do with how you feel. Its focus is not on you. It's not on your feelings. But on the Lord who is working in you. Psalm 124 verse 1. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, perhaps it was in a time when he was facing weary and well-doing that David praised the Lord. And in such times, friends, this truth is a major key. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continue to be in my mouth. I was married for almost 50 years. And I'm married to a lovely woman now. But in my first marriage, after nearly 50 years of being married, my wife died suddenly. 
I was due to go to India to speak at a conference. And within two weeks, she was in heaven. And I sat in my armchair in my home, praying, and the heavens seemed like brass. And it seemed like God had gone off the scene. But I reached down inside, and I said, I will bless the Lord at all times. And I praised him, and I thanked him for his goodness. And my word, he's shown it ever since. In such times, this truth is a major key. Paul says in the messages, excuse me, Psalm 34 verse 1, I will bless the Lord every chance that I get. My lungs expand with his praise. I'm through.